from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 30. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. The word of the Lord. So this fall, we are looking at the central message of Jesus, which is the arrival and availability of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And Luke chapter 18 is really all about how a person enters the kingdom. In verse 17, right in the middle of it, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And everything that surrounds that verse illustrates that verse either positively or negatively. Jesus is saying that we can only enter his kingdom by becoming like little children. And this morning, I want us to wrestle with three questions. Number one, what does Jesus mean by that? Uh, number two, why is it so hard? And number three, uh, why is it worth it? All right, what does Jesus mean? Well, children are bundles of need. You know, in Jesus' day, parents didn't have designer children. They didn't have uh, Eddie Bauer strollers. Families weren't child-centered. A child was, was just another mouth to feed. And, uh, and you had to feed a child for years and years and years before they could, you know, milk a goat or prune a vine. Young children didn't produce anything. 
They didn't contribute anything. They were an economic drain on their families. And so in Luke 18 and 19, we keep meeting people who are needy and who are eager to receive something from Jesus. We meet a woman who is crying out for justice from her adversary, a a tax collector who cries out for mercy because of his sin. We meet parents who bring their babies to Jesus to be blessed, a, a blind beggar who cries out for healing. Zacchaeus is so desperate to meet Jesus that he does what children do all the time. He climbs a tree. Each of them is hungry, hungry for love and grace, justice and mercy, healing, and a new heart. And they come to Jesus empty-handed with nothing but need. And they receive something. Of course, there are others mixed into these stories who come to Jesus, but they're different. They're proud. They're, they're strong. They're, they're independent. And Jesus can't do anything for them because God can only give to those who are capable of receiving. We meet a Pharisee who, who trusts in his own righteousness. His heart is disfigured by arrogance and pride and he feels superior to and, and looks down on other people. And Jesus can't do anything for him. We meet a rich young ruler who thinks he can save himself, which is why he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, I've, I've obeyed all your laws, going all the way back to my childhood. There's a problem. He he missed a few. Like the law that says, you shall have no other gods before me. So Jesus says to him, sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. (laughs) Jesus goes right for the jugular in this man's life. Give up your wealth. Give up the thing you've been building your life and identity upon all along. And Luke says that the man walked away sad because he had much wealth. See, he couldn't comprehend his own need. And his greatest need was to stop trying to save and secure himself. There's a a pattern in the Gospels. Those who can admit their need, those who are humble enough and hungry enough to receive help, they meet Jesus and then they walk away filled They walk away rejoicing. And those who can't admit their need, who are too proud, who are too self-reliant to receive help, they meet Jesus and they walk away sad or angry or despondent. If you want to enter the kingdom, if you want the redemptive power of heaven to flow into your life and transform you, you must become like a little child. You must admit your need. You must come to Jesus hungry to receive. Now, why is this so hard? Why is it so hard to become like a little child? Mike Iaconelli tells the story of a friend of his, uh, just a really competent, bright, hardworking, determined young woman. She, she was, uh, I think she's still in her 20s, but she had already made significant advances in the business community. Just, just a really, uh, really uh, amazing, successful person. And she was on vacation in Hawaii, and she'd been out in the sun, and she wanted to cool off, so she took her her snorkel and her mask and went out into the ocean to cool down. And um, 
she's floating around. She, she stumbles upon a school of fish, and they're just beautiful, and the way they dart and move together and, and keep their formations. And she just lost track of time. She lost track of how far she had swum. She, she lost track of, of, of the shoreline, and, and eventually she looks up, and she is shocked to see how far she is from the beach. And right about that time, she's caught up in a riptide. And she's determined to get out of it. She wants to make it to source. So she starts swimming as fast and as furiously as she possibly can. But she's not making any, she's not making any progress. She's not getting any closer uh, to, to, to the beach. And so she you know, redoubles her, her, her efforts. She's, she's so determined. But she's, by this point, she's just exhausted. And she's almost out of breath. And she finally starts to yell and scream for help. And fortunately, there was a, a lifeguard who was able to hear her, her screams faintly. And the lifeguard jumps on the board and goes out and rescues her. And she's telling the story to her friend Mike. And she says, Mike, you have no idea how hard it is to ask for help. Can you relate? Why is it so hard to ask for help? I think it's because when we ask for help, we feel weak. And we want to feel strong. We want to feel like we're in control. We want to feel independent and self-sufficient. We want to be the captain of our lives. We want to be the king or the queen of our own kingdom. If you go all the way back um, to the beginning of the human race, to, to Genesis 3, what's, what's the temptation? The temptation is to be like God. To decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. You know, to say, I don't need God. I, I want to run my own life. I want to build my own kingdom. It was a rebellion against the king. And then Jesus comes along and he says, look, unless you become like little children, you can have no part with me. Unless you rebel against the rebellion. Unless you repent of your desire to be in control. Unless you surrender to my leadership. Unless you come to me with nothing, you cannot enter my kingdom. Friends, this is no small ask for Jesus to make. Jesus is not interested in being part of your life. He's not offering to be a consultant. He's not a, a fire extinguisher that you keep around in case of emergencies, but who most of the time just kind of hangs out behind the glass. Jesus doesn't want to be part of your life. He wants to be your life. He wants to run your life. He wants to transform your life. When Jesus says to the rich young ruler, follow me, he's inviting him to give up control over his life. He's inviting him to depend on him, to lean on Jesus to the point of vulnerability, to trust and obey him fully. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are saying, I am no longer sovereign over my own life. Unless you become like a little child, Unless you confess your need and receive help, you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot experience the transforming power of God's love and grace in your life. Jesus put it another way. It's a little bit less romantic sounding. He said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross daily, you cannot follow me. In other words, unless you die Unless you die to your pride and your need to be in control, you cannot enter the kingdom. This is why it's so hard. It's about dying every day. Martin Luther said there are two deaths. There's the death that happens at the end of your life when your heart stops. And he says that's the small death. 
That's the easy death. And then there's the death that takes place when you give up control of your life. And that's the big death. That's the hard death. It's a much more difficult death. And it's a daily dying to self. See, the world keeps telling us that we need to be independent and self-sufficient. We need to be omnicompetent and totally in control. And Jesus comes along and says, no, actually, you need to move in the other direction. You need to become like a child. You need to receive. You need to be humble. You know, that word uh, humility has the same Latin root as the word hummus. Dirt. To be humble is to be low to the ground, to be lowly. Humility says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If we're honest, we're much more like the Pharisee. We're much more apt to say, I am so glad I'm not like those people. That sneering contempt, that feeling of superiority, is the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of being childlike. Jean Genet got it right when he said, humility can only be born out of humiliation. Not the kind of humiliation that leaves you feeling ashamed and embarrassed, but the kind of humiliation that brings us in touch with our limits and our needs. Have you noticed that this is, this is, this is kind of weird, but in our culture, we've started using the word humble to mean the exact opposite of what it means. We say, I'm so humbled to receive this award. Or I can't believe all the success we've had. It's so humbling. Nope. Not what the word means. <laughs> you are honored by an award. You are humbled by your mistakes. You are humbled by the realization that you need help. You are humbled by the fact that you are so messed up that Jesus had to die for you. Humility doesn't come through success. It comes through humiliation. When it comes to learning humility, I have a lot, I have a long way to go, but any progress that I've made so far has come by way of failure, by way of friends who've said to me, Bill, you have a blind spot. Comes through the realization that I've hurt people, that I've broken trust. I've learned humility when I've had to ask for help when I've had to ask for forgiveness. I've learned humility in those seasons where I felt completely overwhelmed and completely in over my head. Being humbled is not particularly fun, but it's good. Because when we're humbled, we stop looking down on others and we start looking up to God. We begin to see our need. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is by becoming like a little child. By admitting your need and humbly receiving, desperately seeking what God wants to give you. As Tim Keller says, all you need is nothing. All you need is need and most people don't have it. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want Jesus to transform you, and give you a new heart. If you want the redemptive and healing power of heaven unleashed in your life, you have to become like a little child. You have to be humbled. All right, if, if becoming like a little child is so hard, so humbling, is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up control? Little children, even, even newborn babies, are experts at two things. 
trusting their parents and attaching themselves to them. They don't even have to learn these skills. They're born masters at trust and attachment. In fact, this, this, this desire, this instinct is so strong that kids will often continue to trust and attach themselves to their parents even if their parents continually break their trust. Now, why is that instinct so strong? Because trust and attachment is the only way that we grow. It's the only way we become emotionally healthy and mature. So, you know, psychologists talk about attachment theory. Attachment theory um, says that, that when we have strong, secure attachments, we become healthy, well-adjusted, resilient adults who are able to respond to the needs of others and put them first. But if we don't form strong, healthy attachments, we become preoccupied with ourselves, preoccupied with our needs, and we neglect people just like we were neglected. If we don't experience those, those secure, nurturing attachments, we end up looking out for ourselves. Forming secure attachments is absolutely essential to becoming a healthy person who can see and respond to the needs of other people. There's a great example of healthy attachment in the final hours of Jesus' earthly life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying and he knows that the authorities are breathing down his neck. Uh, they intend to have him executed. It's only a matter of time before these events unfold. And when he's praying, he's honest with his father about his feelings and his desires. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. I don't want to go through with any of this. Jesus is being open and honest and vulnerable with his father. And yet at the same time, Jesus trusts his father and ultimately surrenders to his will. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. This isn't what I want, but I trust you. I trust that you know what you're doing. I trust that you won't abandon me to the grave. Jesus has a healthy attachment to his Father in heaven. And as a result, he's able to be open and transparent and vulnerable with him about his desires and feelings. He's able to endure terrible, terrible trials without losing hope, without lashing out at God or going his own way. And he's able to focus on the needs of other people despite everything that he's going through. Jesus spends that whole evening ministering to his friends He's anticipating their fears. He's ministering to their confusion. He's comforting them. He's praying for them. He's washing their feet. Later on on the cross, he's thinking about his mother Mary and who's going to take care of her after he's gone and he calls, he calls his friend John over. He says, John, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. He's making sure that Mary is going to be cared for in her old age. Jesus asked God to forgive those who mocked him and tortured him and crucified him. The thief that's on the cross next to his, he tells him that the kingdom of God belongs to him too. He assures him of his salvation. Despite the fact that Jesus has just suffered sleeplessness, abandonment, 
injustice, torture, shame, humiliation, despite the fact that there are nails in his hands and feet and thorns in his brow, despite the fact that he is suffocating as his lungs fill up with fluid and he's struggling to raise himself high enough so that he's able to breathe, despite all of that, Jesus is thinking about others, not himself. How? Because he has a strong attachment to his father that secures him and gives him an unshakable identity. Our modern selves are so fragile. Why? Because they're based on our feelings. They're based on our desires, our tastes, our style, our interests, our achievements. And because our identities are based on these things that are so inherently unstable, we find ourselves just in constant need of recognition and affirmation from others, and it's never enough. And what makes Jesus so resilient is that his identity isn't based on his feelings. It's not based on how other people perceive him or respond to him. Jesus' identity is based on the Father's love. And as a result, he's secure, he's resilient, and he can focus on the needs of others even in the darkest and most trying moments that we could ever imagine a person having to go through. And it's not Jesus' strengths. It's not Jesus' accomplishments that make this possible. It's his weakness. It's his childlikeness. It's his trust and dependence, you see? As long as you're in control, as long as you're building your own kingdom, your life will be all about you. You may on occasion serve other people, but only when it suits you, only when it's convenient. But if you become like a child and attach yourself to Jesus, he will give you an identity so solid and a security so strong that you will be resilient even when you experience stress, even when you experience hardships and trials and grief and loss. And serving others won't be an occasional activity. It will be a lifestyle. Your desire, your capacity for serving others will grow. Why? Because you're receiving so much from God, now you have something to offer. Don't you want that? Those who are committed to their own kingdoms ask, what's in it for me? Who's going to take care of me? But when we receive God's kingdom like a little child, when we know that God has our back, that he is our security, and our peace, that we're precious to him, that we're his beloved. Once we know that, we can stop worrying about ourselves and focus instead on the needs of other people. Like the tax collector who became like a child and humbled himself before God and said, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. That's the kind of person who becomes merciful. That's the kind of person who shows mercy to others. Like the blind man who became like a child and begged Jesus to heal him. And God's healing power exploded in his life and he began to praise God and he began to lead others to praise God too. Like Zacchaeus who became like a child and climbed a tree and took Jesus home and received salvation. He was transformed from a self-serving, corrupt extortionist into someone who was radically free, radically joyful, radically generous.